hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through uh, 33. Um, just want to share with you how, um, how excited I am what God did last week. You know, we got to do four baptisms. We did three services. Over 200 people came. Um, and it was just an incredible day of looking at who Jesus says that he is, who Jesus is, and what that means for us. And so that was an incredible day. Of course, doing that third service, I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have so much energy. I left here going, man, I'm doing fine. I went to my parents, I ate some food, and I passed out on the couch for hours. And, uh, but it was just such a good day of celebrating, and I'm, I'm so glad if you didn't uh, make it here, that message is online. And uh, it was just an incredible day. Um, getting to meet new people and, and uh, see uh, old friends and all of that. So um, this morning, uh, we're back in our series through the book of Ephesians. If you're, if you're just now joining us, we have been in a series through Ephesians. And what we are learning is uh, we're learning all about our identity as followers of Christ, that our identity is in Christ. And the Bible says that our identity is a Christian three times. And in fact, this language of Christian was actually an outsider term used towards those who were believers, those that were followers of Christ. It was kind of more of a derogatory term. And then as the Bible says our identity is in Christ, it says that specific language over 216 times. So it's one of the primary ways, if not the most common way, that God refers to us as believers, that our identity is in Christ. And anyone who tells you something 216 times is saying, one, it's really important, and two, they don't want you to forget it. It's really important, and I don't want you to forget it, that your identity is in Christ. Now, I know this as a parent, because what, if there's something important, I'm not just going to say it once to my son and hope that he figures it out. I'm going to repeat myself constantly on this important fact. And so Paul has been repeating himself in different ways. Listen, your identity is in Christ. Walk in this. Do these things in this. This is your identity. And so two weeks ago, we unpacked the first 21 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul, the author, really called us to walk in love. And our sentence there was that we are to be imitators of God, called to walk in love and walk in wisdom. And what we looked at was that the Christian walk is really a continuation, a, a next step of our new life in Christ. That, the, that Christianity is not a modification of the old life. It, it's not just move some things around in the old way of living before Christ, but in receiving a new life in Christ, a spiritual rebirth, that Paul says this life must display itself in every area of Christian living. And so now in our text this week, what Paul's going to give us is one of the most powerful, one of the most popular, and yet one of the most culturally controversial examples of how much God loves his church. This is the truth of what Paul's going to share. And this example is marriage. That our marriages are one of the greatest examples and opportunities to both live out and to share the gospel. But we sometimes, I think, get just kind of mixed up and, and even out of alignment in these. But whether you're preparing for marriage, you're realigning in marriage, or you're waiting for marriage, or even you've never even thought of marriage until I just said it now, and you're going, I'm not marriage material, and some of you are going, I'm still in high school. What are you talking about? This all begins with Christ. And whether you're married or not, I think there's all things that Paul's going to point us to that we can learn. 
But the example here that he's giving us is on marriage. And I believe personally, I believe from spending time with people, from counseling people, with praying with people, teaching through the word, what I believe is that most of our issues in marriage stem from an issue of identity. Most of our issues in marriage stem from an issue of identity. And so as we read these 10 verses, Paul's really going to unpack the importance of submission and love, but not just for the marriage and in the marriage, but he's going to point the married woman to the kind of submission one should have as though it was unto Christ. And, he's, and then he's going to point the married man to the kind of love and the kind of leadership that Christ has and, and sets before us. And then he's also going to point us all, whether married or unmarried, he's going to point us to look toward the perfect example for all of this, which is Christ Jesus. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, we're going to read this together. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles over here in the back corner. You can have that. That's our gift to you. But if you didn't bring one today, it will also be on the screen behind me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul really starts out right out of the gate saying, listen, we are submitted. We are submitted and we need to remember that a Christian submits to the headship of the Lord Jesus, first of all. That all of us together are submitted under Jesus That above all else, we're to follow God's headship and God's word by being submitted to Jesus, by following the example of Jesus. And so Paul here points out both sides of submission, but he first then calls the woman to submission in the marriage. And in the original Greek, that word for submit is in what's called a middle voice. And what that means is that the action there is voluntary. So the woman chooses to submit for herself. It's not a begrudging submission. It's a loving submission that she chooses. And submission is an incredible thing in marriage, but it needs to be understood. Submission and love and all of this within marriage needs to be understood. So I want to look at this with you. That submission does not mean that the wife is less valuable, less intelligent, or less competent than the man that both men and women bear equally the image and likeness of God, that they are equal in dignity and equal in value. So submission here doesn't mean that men are more important than women. It doesn't mean that men are more 
intellectual than women. In fact, if we took an IQ test and tried to prove that, I think some of us men would not like the results. And so for us, I think we need to really look at this. What does submission mean? What does it not mean? That it doesn't mean that the men are more competent than the women, more capable than the women. But what it does mean is that you and I are not the same. We were not created to be the same. We are wired completely different with the same value. And so this equality is really found in Scripture. And this understanding theologically is really the complementarian theology. It's the belief that men and women have different but complementary roles and responsibilities in marriage, in family life, and in leadership. So think of it this way with an illustration. I have two hands, and I'm right-handed. My right hand is my dominant hand, And the right hand can do things that the left hand can't do. But my left hand can do things that my right hand can't do. But together they are important and they both go hand in hand. I didn't even mean to do that there, but there you go. (laughs) See, there are some things that both can do, but they work together in a complementary fashion and I need both of them. That's the basic idea of complementarian theology. That's very, very basic. So don't quote me on that, but very basic But submission here is one submitting to the other. And so submission does not mean that the wife does not have independent thoughts. That's not submission. In a complementarian marriage, you don't walk up to a married woman and say, what do you you think about this? And she says, well, ask my husband. I have no thoughts of my own. Husband, what do I think on this? She has thoughts. And for me, let me tell you this out of the truth of it. I married a woman. I didn't marry a girl. I married a woman and she has her own thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts are very different than my own. She does not have her thoughts completely based on my thoughts. So submission doesn't mean that a wife doesn't have independent thoughts because God's made her with a brain of her own to pursue gifts of her own, to think on her own unto the glory of God. This is the truth, that that submission is not the lack of the independence of the woman, but submission in the midst of independence. And submission doesn't mean that a wife ignores all of her husband's flaws, but that she begins to encourage those aspects of his character that are respectable. That she, that she points out the things, not looking down, going, man, I can't believe you did that. I, I can't believe you acted that way but points out and works towards encouraging the things that are respectable. So ladies, let's be honest. I think all of you would say that you want to be married to a man that you respect. All of you want to be married to a man that you respect, but as you've been married, you've probably learned some things and found some things that you do not respect. And to help in those areas that you may not respect What is needed there is encouraging those areas that you do respect to help him grow into the man that God intended him to be. Now, that does not mean that you view him as perfectly sinless and flawless and, oh man, he is next to Jesus in this, not by any regards. It does not mean that you ignore those flaws, but you look for the things in him that you do respect and you honor those things. So it doesn't mean that you see him as flawless, but it means that the woman approaches him in such a way that it helps him become more like Jesus. That's what it means to respect. That it's you approaching your husband out of respect that it would cause him then to be like Jesus in his leadership. So what submission does mean, as we see from Paul, is that 
but it's you learning to be like Jesus as you submit as though it was unto Jesus. See, here's how, here's how this works that we see in Scripture, that Jesus is the Son of God, and the Bible tells us that the Father sends the Son, and Jesus says, while on earth, he says, listen, I'm not here to just do whatever I want. I'm not here to, to, to do what I say I'm here to do. I am here to do what the Father tells me to do. And he says things like, I don't just say what I, whatever I want to say. I say what the Father tells me to say. And in fact, this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He says, by your will be done. By your will be done. That's submission. Not my will, but your will. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he is crucified, Jesus prays an anguishing-filled prayer to the Father. And in Matthew 26, we see this prayer where, it says, where he says, man, if it, would, if it would be possible, Father, if it would be possible, would you take this cup from me, but not my will in that, but your will be done. Not my will in that, but your will be done. And so ladies, to respect and to submit is to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean passive. I just do whatever he says. It's active. It's loving. And it's not being obedient to him. It's being obedient to God. There's a difference there. And so I think there's some important ways for you to be able to voluntarily actively exercise submission. I want to give you some things. That one, you'd pray for your husband. That one, you'd pray for your husband. That you would learn to see him through God's eyes, not your own, and not trying to to move him towards the version that you think he should be, but helping him move towards the person that God's called him to be. That you would serve him. That you would put yourself second and him first. And that you would respect him, his decisions, his parenting, and his approach. Because here's the truth of of what Paul is saying, and I believe that God is saying to us through this, is that submission isn't God's demand for you, it's God's desire for you. This isn't God's demand, this is his desire. That you would submit to the godly leadership of your husband's. But here's the reality, men, because I'm not there yet to pick it on you, but we're getting there is that if our leadership isn't godly, it isn't going to be easy for our wives. If our leadership isn't godly, it's not going to be easy for our wives to submit. Because no woman wants to submit to a man who isn't in submission to Christ. And so as Paul clarifies, listen, the the wife is to submit to the husband. Then he also says the husband's to love his wife. That Paul uses the example of Jesus' love for his church Pointing, that with, pointing out that with headship comes spiritual care. It's not just to lord over, but there's spiritual care there in the headship. And he continues in verse 25 that we read by telling the men, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So following the example of Christ for us men means we love as he loved. We love as he loved. And I know for some of you, you may think, man, that sounds simple. It's not. You may think that that sounds easy. There's all these examples throughout scripture. It's not easy. And Paul is not referring to emotion, but a sacrificial action for the benefit of the wife. That the model and definition of this love is Christ's love for the church. 
And so the Greek word there for love here is agape. And I think this is really important to unpack for the reason that in the English language, we look up the definition of love and there's one definition of love. But the Bible does not speak on just one definition of love because here there are three other definitions of love in the Greek, but here Paul is talking about agape love. That this kind of love is demonstrated by your behavior towards another person. It's a committed and it's a chosen love. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. So it's, it's distinguished from the other types of love. And in fact, agape love is the type of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. So, men, if you want to know what kind of love you're to show unconditionally to your life, consider 1 Corinthians 13. It's the kind of love that's patient, that's kind, that rejoices in truth, that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. So the whole point here for Paul is not saying, listen, I want you to get married, so you can go live out this example. It's, it's not quickly get married and find this example here. The goal is to love your wife right now as Christ loved the church, which is sacrificially. Sacrificially. So it's easy to get married. It's really hard to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's harder for some than others. And I don't mean that humorously. I mean that some of you may find yourself in hard relationships and it's difficult to do this. It's easy to get married. It's hard to love this sacrificial way. And I think some of, some of us could find that to be true that we could say, and you can put a suit on, you could smile, and you could say, I do, and then sign a form. That's easy. But try loving your wife for 30 plus years, sacrificially as Christ loved the church, and then come tell me how that goes. Because the, the wedding part is easy. The marriage part is difficult. So it takes a little bit of work. And some men, I think, really love the idea of, oh, I get to, I get to live with somebody, I get to, to sleep with somebody, I, I get to be in this sexual intimacy with someone, somebody, I get to have these shared resources and these shared incomes, this is going to be awesome. And they don't love the idea of loving the woman, they love the idea of all the stuff that comes with the woman. That's not love. And men, there is a burden that God places on us, and I want you to feel it. I want you to feel a weight here for a moment. That following the example of Christ means we carry the role of headship. And Paul does not say that we have the option to be the head, but that regardless of our choosing, regardless how you feel about submission as a husband, that it's your responsibility. It's no one else's responsibility but yours. And some of you single men may think, oh boy, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to get married, and that'll make me a man. No, it won't. No, it won't. See, marriage is for men. It's not for boys. Marriage is for men. It's not for boys. And boys who get married, they don't become men. They just hurt women and children. That's what boys do because they don't understand that responsibility. And so then for men and for boys, what that means is that headship is a heart issue. Headship for us is a heart issue, and it only becomes resolved through following the example of Christ. That Piper, I love his definition of of headship. He says, headship is the illustrated calling of a husband given by Christ to take primary responsibility for servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. 
So boys, let me tell you this. I loved you, but I do not respect you. If you do not learn to grow up into being a man of God, you are just walking around like a boy, and you're only going to keep hurting people. And so here, Paul makes it very clear, and I want you to feel the weight of this for a second. This is the role that we are called to as husbands. It's not a, a little idea and concept. It's, submiss- it's submissive to Christ. There, there's first the submission that's found in, in marriage. It should be your submission to Christ. If your wife is difficult because she doesn't submit, you don't need a better version of her submission. You need to pursue Jesus. That's what you need. And so let me give you some ways for you to exercise godly headship. That one, pray for your wife. Pray for your wife. And two, and I mean this, this is the most important, I believe, and one of the most frustrating ever to to try and define for people, is that be the example of a follower of Christ. And what I mean by that is don't try to define for her how you think she should follow Christ. Be the example of a follower of Christ. And then encourage her in how God has wired her. You both are not the same. My wife and I are not the same, and I praise God for that. It would be a wreck. Her and I are so different, and that's good. And I celebrate her differences, and I'm learning to celebrate her differences. Encourage your wife and how God has wired her, and then serve her. Serve her. Put her needs first. And that means for you and I, husbands, not, not you guys who are learning to be this, but consider this. But for us who are husbands, this means we need to sacrifice some things in our own life for the sake of our wives and for the sake of our families. So that means a husband who comes home, eats dinner, watches TV, and goes to bed is not showing godly headship. That's not a godly head over a household. That, that's a passive partner. And so serving your wife, this is an incredible way for you to exercise godly headship, for you to serve her. And then number five of what you can exercise is godly headship. Model submission for her to Christ. Model submission for her to Christ. And and here's the catch. Regardless of her success rate with you, that's the kind of agape love you're called to regardless of her success rate, that you would model submission to Christ for her. And so Paul tells us, he says, listen, we are to be submitted. Wives are to submit to the husbands. And husbands, we're called to love. And he says specifically in all of this, all of this is to illustrate as Christ loves the church. As Christ loves the church. That these two examples for the husband and for the wife are a reflection of a greater example of how Christ has loved us, how he has loved us and how he has called us to walk in love and walk in submission as followers of Christ. And Paul said it this way in verse 32 that we read. He said that this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So I strongly believe that our issues in marriage stem from an issue of identity. Because you and I are never going to be able to know how to love perfectly, how to submit to one another perfectly, and be in unity with one another if we aren't pursuing these things first in Christ. If our example of this is not Christ, because our resolve 
is an identity rooted in Christ. Not rooted in our marriages, not rooted in our activity, not rooted in our workplace or our friend groups. The resolve is in an identity that's rooted in Christ. And I believe what Paul is saying here through these verses is he's telling, telling us to look to Christ. Listen, all of this here, all of this in your marriage, all of this in your relationship, look to Christ. Look to Christ. That there's no greater example for us to live by than the one that God gives us in Christ Jesus. And in verses 25 through 29, Paul really kind of interweaves the truth illustrated for marriage by the character and love of God. That in verse 25, it says that Christ loved us, that he gave himself sacrificially for us. That in verse 26, it says that he did this to sanctify us. In verse 27, to present us holy without blemish. Then in verse 29, that, that he nourishes and he cherishes us. These are the characteristics and this is the love of God through Christ Jesus. This is the love that Christ has for his church, truthfully and sacrificially. And so we are called not to live like any other earthly example other than by the earthly example by Christ. We're called to live like Christ does. Because those that desire to live like Christ really delight in a, in a type of walk through discipline that leads them to loving God and loving his people. That those that choose to walk in Christ and, and be disciplined in growing in Christ learn to really walk in a love for God and a love for his people. And so Paul, as he concludes this, the real narrative of this is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Get your eye off of your list of which you hold against your spouse and look to Jesus. Make Christ your standard for marriage. Make Christ your example and your identity. Bank everything that you have and everything that you are on Christ and follow the example set before you by Jesus Christ. So look to Christ. Let's pray.